Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Wolverine Podcast. I'm John Borton, and we're here on a night with, that I have really been anticipating. You know Tom Crawford. You know him well. He's, uh, he's around, and he uh, is a member of that crew on Press Pass Sunday nights on Fox 47, and he has his own podcasting network. And we welcome in tonight one of the greatest Michigan football players of all time, and that would be one Mark Messner, the uh, the newest uh, inductee into the College Football Hall of Fame. I want to welcome you both, and Mark, I uh, really appreciate you being with us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. I'm, I'm honored to be on. Well, I want to I want to just jump right into this tonight because uh, we've got a ton of football to talk about. Uh, we get the uh, the privilege of Martin Messner's uh, input into all of this. Uh, Michigan playing out in Arizona. Mark Messner and the Wolverines had one of their finest moments out Absolutely. in uh, out in Arizona in that Fiesta Bowl that Tom Crawford and I very well remember. And we're going to be talking about that game and a whole bunch of things, but. I want to start out with Michigan TCU uh, coming up. And I, I look at this, 
Um, this is a huge game, obviously, for Michigan. One game, one win away from the national championship game. And to me, this has the biggest implications nationally for Michigan of a game since that square off against Washington State in 1997 when it was for all the marbles. We thought it was for all the marbles, uh, coaches and uh, AP. We know what happened there, but it, it was uh, Michigan's first national championship in 50 years. But I want to throw this at you guys. I'll start with you, Mark. Can you remember the last time that Michigan had this big of, uh, I guess, national title implications on a game that they were playing in? Well, I think for sure it's it's the stage is set for Michigan and getting there and, and having having the dance. Uh, I think the matchup with TCU is is fabulous, and I'm really counting on the fact that uh, TCU's last minute heroics are are burned up and gone. But, you know, I think the stage is set for us to get to where we need to be. But the biggest game is still TCU. And, uh, you know, we're we're in control of our own destiny. And uh, I just think that it's going to be an exciting game no matter what. And uh, it's going to bring back some fond memories for me for sure. No doubt about it. Now, Tom Crawford, uh, certainly it seems like the Ohio State games the last two years had Michigan fans as jacked up as they're ever going to be for any game. But what, what about you in terms of uh, the, the last one with this sort of national import? Well, I mean, let's obviously go back to 1997 season. You know, they're undefeated. Uh, they're 11-0 and going into – or 12-0. and Yeah, 11-0 and going into uh, the Rose Bowl game, and they, and they win the game. And, you know, at least for 24 hours, they everybody thought that that national championship was Michigan's all by itself until once Scott Frost went out there and did his propaganda, uh, Philip Austin, <laughs> and in point five, it became that after that point. But, I mean, I, I you know, but that was before the play. This is so cool because this is playoff. This is a right. CFP. This is what Michigan had been wanting to get into so for such a long period of time, and now they've done it back-to-back, and now they've, you know, they're an opportunity to take it against a, a, a doable, beatable TCU team. I think Michigan can run the ball on TCU. So this is at the top of the heap right now in terms of opportunities in the modern era of, of going after national championships. Yeah. And back in the mid-'80s, uh, Michigan was playing for that last high ranking. And as yeah, I recall, the, yeah. the 85 team wound up number two in the nation Mark Messner was right at the heart of that uh, great defense. He was teammates with uh, the guy that's coaching Michigan right now. We're going to tap his wisdom about that as well. But Mark Messner, uh, reflect a little bit on that Fiesta Bowl and uh, squaring off against an opponent that looked pretty daunting at the time. Well, you know, Nebraska was in their heyday running that option. You had to be one of the most disciplined defenses to handle an option coming at you every time because it was a threat three different ways from Sunday every single play you didn't know what they were going to do and and I tell you as a wide-eyed freshman you know getting out there as a freshman playing on a stage like that that that, that first play those guys got down in their in their three-point stances and they were literally like mooses they were <laughs> weird noises snorting and I'm <laughs> what in the world is in front of me I didn't know where I was coming or going. And I think that's what was a lot of fun about that game is we just played with reckless abandon, flew around to the ball, 
never gave him breathing room. And eventually, um, you know, I, quite frankly, I think we were getting our tails kicked in the first half and came out in the yeah. second half. And uh, Bo gave us a little talking to at the, at, at the halftime and uh, came out inspired, to say the least. And um, really, really, really had a great second half, like Michigan has done multiple times this year in the second half. So I, I think uh, deja vu is at hand. A perfect parallel there. I, I was about to say, I remember though all those anxious moments in the first half, uh, kind of like Michigan fans have had in some games this year. And then all of a sudden, the Michigan exerting its will in the second half against Nebraska, as Jim Harbaugh's teams have so often done this year. Um, let, let me let me just throw this one at you. Do you think it's uh, there's a conditioning aspect of it? Jim Harbaugh said this year that the um, you know his his secret sauce is Michigan strength and conditioning coach uh, this season. What was it about that uh, '85 team in the Rose Bowl or the the Fiesta Bowl experience that allowed it to do what it did in the second half? Well, I mean, obviously we had some significant um, advantages, I think, in strength and conditioning with Gittleson and the program he ran and how we were conditioned. Um, but you know, I, I think really this year's special sauce has been the adjustments that are made. There is no third half. And, mm. you know, when you come out with a game plan in the first half, there's not a lot of adjustments that can be made and implemented universally. It's what happens in the, in the booth in the first half and the adjustments that are made in the second half, and that's what Michigan has done fabulously this year. They have made adjustments. The team is in great shape. They have confidence across the board with each other, and they execute. So I think that's really been the, the, the um, big differentiator is the adjustments that the coaching staff's making with these kids that believe in each other. Well, you were part of that number two national team in 85. You went on to win a couple of Big Ten championships with the Wolverines. I believe that your record of uh, five sacks in a single game still stands uh, in Michigan history. And now you are a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. Talk about, I, I first of all, your overall Michigan experience as you went through, but to have it end uh, in that sort of honor uh, this many years after you played, your, your thoughts about uh, being remembered in that way and recognized. Well, I, I, to this day, I still am astonished that that someone like me was able to play at Michigan, let alone have the records and the, and the, st the stats that I did, because um, I'm not the prototypical football player at Michigan. I'm not, you know, a, a, a big, strong, fast um, athlete. Uh, I'm a cerebral, I guess, football player. I, you know, at, at 245 pounds uh, in six foot three as a defensive tackle is ridiculous nowadays. And, and um, you know, to be able to play against those Tony Mandarich size offensive linemen and, and win is, is something that I still don't understand how I did it. I just went in, uh, I guess, and, and, and executed and, and did a lot of film study to look for tendencies. And I'm just tickled pink and in utter disbelief that after all these years, um, these kind of stats have stayed. And I, and I think quite frankly, they may stay for a very, very long time because nowadays guys don't stay for four years and it, it takes four years of, of, uh, you know, pretty significant stats to, to accumulate that. Yeah. So I think um, some of those, uh, even though we were 80, 20 in those days, they ran the ball 80% of the time and threw it 20. 
Um, nowadays, it's pretty much reversed. So there's a lot more opportunities for sacks and things like that in today's game than there was in mine. But um, just just tickled pink and, and honored. Yeah. Well, we're we're thrilled for you, and uh, congratulations on that score, Tom Crawford. Uh, the people that listen to this podcast know he's got the encyclopedic memory when it comes to Michigan football. And Tom, I just want to give you the opportunity to uh, to deliver a couple of your uh, most outstanding memories of Mark Messner and uh, maybe toss a question or two of your own at him. Well, when you think of Mark Messner, you're talking about his freshman year, you know, and that comeback win, the Fiesta Bowl, that, that team that, you know, ended up second in the nation. That was a great, that was a great team. And uh, the Ohio State game with Harbaugh Colazar. But I remember that Rose Bowl win, Mark, uh, your senior year. Uh, and, and once again, that was the same scenario as it was against the Brad. I think you were down double digits at halftime and you made the adjustments. So maybe Gittleson had that thing going on that Ben Herbert had, you know, like you were talking about 40 years ago. And it made the big comeback, 22-14, Leroy Horde. I mean, that, I, I, you know, when Bo was getting carried off that field, I don't think I've ever seen that guy had happy and and any you know in his life. I mean that was a, that was a big big win over a really good USC team with Rodney P. Your 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 thoughts on that one? Your last game, no less. It was, and and you know to go out like that on that stage was um, was amazing, and it was truly that was a that was an offensive uh, performance because Leroy just muscled his way through, and you know so proud of that, and, and our defense just to buckle down against a great offense and a great quarterback in their backyard. Um, so that, that was, that was something. And they had been, they had played Michigan state the year before yep. and got beat. They play us and get beat. They were really hating the state of Michigan. It was, <laughs> they had tough to beat somebody twice, let alone three yeah. times. Cause I think we went back the next year and uh, they, they got us. Uh, and that's when Bo retired. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Hey, you know, John, you know, uh, Mark was talking about, you know, four year guys not happening. Can you imagine a four-year All-Big Ten player like Mark Nezer happening again? It couldn't happen. It's impossible to happen because if you're All-Big Ten, you're not going to stay four years, right? Isn't that how that works now? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, Steve Hutchison was uh, on that level, and but that was, you know – uh, into the 90s, and you, you you will not see that these days, obviously. Um, Mark, I, I want to throw this at you. You were the uh, a teammate of Jim Harbaugh and uh, just saw him in action, understand his level of competitiveness, his how badly he wants to win. And so years after – you guys played together. Jim Harbaugh comes to Ann Arbor and is viewed as the guy. Okay, he's the guy that's going to make it right after uh, it, the, the program sank under Rich Rodriguez and couldn't recover under Brady Hoke. And now here comes Jim Harbaugh, and boom, this thing is going to be set aright, and Michigan is going to be on top again. And for a few years there, there was, you know, you had moments, 2016, where you thought you had Ohio State down in Columbus and we're going to do the things that you now have done the last two years. But those first few years, it was, okay, I, it, what's what's happening here? Is is this going to, to work out? Um, your thoughts on how it's gone and how Jim Harbaugh has really, in these last two years, set things the way that a lot of people thought uh, uh, he was going to when he came here. 
Well, I, I just think um, people are very impatient today. Um, they have nanosecond memory and expect things to be done instantly. And, and this game, and with the way the talent is balanced and, and teams have to work, um, it just doesn't happen overnight. Uh, you know, Jim had to, to construct what he envisioned, and that takes time. You're going to upset players, upset coaches and fans to get to the formula, to get to the special sauce that you want. And, you know, Jim's had that patience. And that's been very frustrating for somebody like me to watch and hear people because, you know, it's not a crystal ball, but you do know the person and you know his track record. He didn't fail in the NFL. He didn't fail in his first coaching jobs. He took over other programs and turned them around. It wasn't instantaneously, but he did it everywhere he's been. It would be no different at Michigan. But, the, you know, fans and, and players alike expected it to be instant. And uh, that was frustrating. But um, I'm glad that that Jim had the the fortitude and strength to you know overlook and and keep his path. And now I think people understand that, uh, you know, Jim did have a vision, still does and still executing it. And it's getting yeah. better and better that we're getting the horses that we need and we're going to be the, the, the you know, dominant um, program uh, that we want to be and have always wanted to be. So nowadays you watch Michigan football these last two years. What are the things that as you sit back and you're watching on television or wherever you might be and, and you see an element of what the Wolverines are doing right now and you kind of smile to yourself and you say, yep, that's, that's Jim. Yeah. It's well, it's the balance of offense. The fact he stays running the ball, it frustrates people. Because you, you just say, oh, gosh, why is there such a predictable run that we just run right here off tackle? Why? And he does it because Jim believes it like Bo did. Bo was somebody that said, I'll give you the playbook. If we execute, you can't stop me. And I'm confident we can execute. And Jim is of that mindset. So they practice so well, so hard. Now, I mean, today – you're limited on the amount of time you can actually practice. Bo, we didn't have that. He had us out there till we did it right. And there was no time limit. Uh, today, there's time limits on how many, how much, you know, hours they can spend doing it. But, you know, Jim just sticks with it. And when he sticks with a program and then he surprises you with the, the McCarthy um, magic, with the passing, the running game, the, the um, trick plays, you just don't expect out of Michigan and they execute them flawlessly most of the time. And that's what I love about, you know, traditional Bo Schembechler, Jim Harbaugh type uh, of programs. You know, John, if I could ask Mark, I'm dying to ask about because we're looking at the, you know, the, you know, from 2017, 2000 or, or, you know, 2020 in the COVID year, which is kind of a thing to evaluate anyway, but, do you think the 21 and 22 season for Jim Harbaugh, he made some great hiring decisions. And I think when, when you think about Sharon Moore and somebody's playing Jesse Mentor, the high, the hiring of him um, and, 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 and Clinkscale and, and that secondary, I mean, isn't that part of being a great coach is, is making great hires. And do, do you think that Jim Harbaugh is improved in that capacity? Look at what's happened these last two years. Well, I, I just think he's, he's, um, getting into his zone. He knows what is needed. When you first come in, you, you're not sure. You're confident in your choices, but you're not sure. And yeah. you see it evolve. And you see the chemistry that, that happens. And, and 
that's the magic that great legendary coaches bring to the table is they have that chemistry um, recognition between the players and the coaches because it's not a one-man show. It is absolutely right down to the position coaches and how they work with their players and how they listen, how they respond, how they do they want to play for their coach or do they want to play for themselves. When you get players that are playing for their coach to not disappear, disappoint their coach all the way up the chain, it is, it is very difficult to lose. Mark, let me throw you this one at you. Uh, I have talked to former players who told me flat out, I watched the last couple of Ohio State-Michigan games and I had tears in my eyes because I remember the way it was and then I, rem- I saw the way it became for a while, for too long of a while, and now you're, you're back on that. It, it, some would say, even footing, some would say, hey, they've, uh, they've taken them down pretty hard the last couple of years. Your thoughts on, as you've watched these last two Ohio State games, uh, what was coursing through uh, Mark Messner's veins? Well, there were tears coming. Um, there were videos taken. I looked at my wife and said, you really took a video of me doing that? Um, but, uh, uh, you know, the thing that I love the most is, you know, Bo's, uh, his whole mantra was the team, the team, the team. And you looked at the way we celebrated offensively and defensively on big plays. We celebrated to each other. We turned to each other. We didn't turn to the stands. We didn't turn to the cameras. We turned to each other. And I tell you, you see that all the time now. And that's new. And that shows what's really happening. It's going in versus out. And when you have that team coming together, a team is so difficult to upend when they're playing together and emotionally. And it it just becomes a powerful momentum. And you saw it in both the Ohio State games in the last couple of years. There was all kinds of questions whether are they at that level yet? Do they have the athletes that, that Ohio State does? And you know what? We really don't. There were, you know, when you look at the stars, we don't. They have them. They're deeper than we are. But when you play with passion and team individuals playing as, you know, a unit, it's very difficult to, to uh, upend. And, and when you start getting those four and five stars with that same attitude, dynasties happen. There you go. Tom Crawford, you want to jump in and uh, follow up? Yeah, you know, because I when I think of Mark Mesner, well, actually, when I think of this young man who's a freshman right now, I, it makes me think of Mark Mesner, you know, Mason Graham, because he's a freshman, the lineman out there making plays. And I guess, you know, you were talking about, you know, that, that Nebraska game, Mark, your freshman year, how how big the, the guy, the dudes were for those Husker linemen. I mean, yeah. what kind of things did you think Mason Graham has gone through these sophisticated defensive and these huge offensive linemen, what's that? Have you been able to, to kind of watch him play and develop and relate to him what he's going through as a former player? Absolutely. And I tell you, um, the fact that he's breaking in on his own, it's not you, you can start off because you don't know because you just lost two defensive ends, you know, last year. Yeah. So that's where everyone knew. So this year you come in with a clean slate and people don't know what's coming at him. And, you know, what, what really preps Michigan defensive players for instant success is the dominant offensive line they practice against every day. That's true. Because when they come to Saturday, they're playing against somebody that's easier than what they've been doing all week long. <laughs> so that's the real advantage of 
having a Michigan offensive line that is one the best again um, in the country, that's what makes the Michigan defensive line better than what they should be. And they're ready sooner than they should be because of what they practice against every day. There you go. Mark, you and your teammates and Bo put so much into that one game, that Ohio State game, knowing uh, Bo came to Ann Arbor with his staff, with Jerry Hanlon and the whole crew, knowing that you had to go through Columbus, through Ohio State to get to the Big Ten Championship. We're in a strange, strange circumstance this year where it is possible that these two teams could meet twice this year. First, give me your thoughts on Georgia, Ohio State, who is probably going to emerge there, and then maybe uh, uh, ruminate, if you would, a little bit on on the possibility of uh, a Michigan-Ohio State rematch. Oh, that's that's a um, that's that's a nightmare for me. I, the whole mm-hmm. idea of that. I'm I am fully counting on um, Georgia trouncing the bucket. <laughs> I mean, trouncing so much so that they're demoralized because, um, you know, I just think that that uh, Ohio State is uh, still licking their wounds a little bit. They're questioning themselves a little bit. And Georgia is, well, they're on top of their game. They've got some serious studs on that team. So, um, you know, if Ohio State can get through them and, and not look past them to try to get back to us, because quite frankly, that's hard not for them to do. Um, because of the the um, pseudo rivalry that they say don't it doesn't exist, um, but you know if if that happens, um, we'd have to really buckle it on because it's really hard to beat the same team twice, especially a really good team. And regardless, Ohio State's a really good football team, and they won't make the same mistakes they they made at home and underestimate um, our ability to throw the ball and try to stop the run and forget about the pass because that killed them. And they won't yeah. make the same mistakes twice. Yeah. All right. Well, I uh, we're, we're very much on the same page here because Tom and I have talked about this thing. I personally don't believe that uh, Ohio State uh, deserves a shot at a national championship. If you drop your last game at home by three touchdowns, it, it happened that way that that they could get it. But uh, I, I just, uh, you know, I'm I'm with you. Uh, we just as soon see Georgia take care of business and uh and then see what we've got uh, but if you're michigan obviously you have to win your game and uh not worry about what might happen next tom anything else before i shift gears completely uh yeah well i mean back to you know i you know i i could hear a tone of of, of mark wanting ohio state to get rolled as much as thinking that they're going to get rolled and, and i'm with him on you know because i'll tell you what when you're when you're a payback team you're the team that makes the changes and the other team that you just played. And so then you, you, that team's got to react to what those changes are going to be. So I agree totally with, with Mark, but I think, Ohio, I, I think Georgia is um, a team that plays to the level of their opponent. The, this, the, this team last year was much more talented. I think they had the seven first round draft boys choices, whatever, but this team seems to be workmanlike and, and, and they get it done. And I, I do think that they're going to, take care of Ohio State, but I think it's going to be a little bit tighter. I, I hope Mark's right. I hope they get rolled. Absolutely. I think I'm thinking about a 38-28 game. I, I think Ohio State's going to – got so much talent, the wide receiver. And 
you know, C.J. Stroud is a tremendous quarterback. They're playing indoors. I would not want to play Ohio State indoors. Now, granted, you know, in Atlanta, that's like a de facto home. That's like Sanford Stadium in Athens going a little bit to the west. But, I mean, it, you know, Ohio State indoors is a heck of a good team. And I, I think they're going to hang with Georgia for a while. So that game makes me a little bit nervous. All right. Well, we'll keep a close eye on that one. Uh, certainly, we said uh, back in Mark Messner's playing days, a, a two games against Ohio State in one season would have been unthinkable. And I would venture to guess that so would the level of football free agency that we are seeing at the moment. And you talk about Michigan taking advantage. Things have just gone crazy oh, in, in the last few days. And I'm going to tick off the names here. You know, people were worried a little bit about Michigan's recruiting class. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're getting the equivalent of a, of a, of a host of uh, experienced uh, multi-star performers coming in. You, you pick off a freshman linebacker from Nebraska, Ernest Hausman, who is coming in here at 6'2", 220. You get three offensive linemen, Miles Hinton and Drake Nugent from Stanford, a couple of 300-pounders, Ladarius Henderson out of Arizona State, 6'5", 310, a senior. You get an outside linebacker, Josiah Stewart out of Coastal Carolina. And then just here in the last 24 hours, you pick up a, a veteran 6'6", 250-pound tight end uh, who was a captain for Indiana, A.J. Burner, and also Jack Tuttle, who is a, a backup quarterback. Can you imagine, Mark, it, it, when you were playing to – to have that kind of influx of veteran players and uh, what, what are the, the upsides and, and the potential downsides from that? We certainly saw with Olu Oluwatimi, uh, a perfect fit this year, comes in, becomes a perfect teammate, uh, wins the, the Remington award. But, you know, I, it, your thoughts on this whole new era of, uh, of building a team. I, I would not, want to try to coach the chemistry oh, nowadays at all. Yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. that, as, a, as a young player, you sit there and work your tail off to have the you know mother time pass to where the person in front of you graduates or leaves. Yeah. Now it's my turn and all of a sudden you got somebody dropped in front of you again. Yeah. That would be so disheartening to try to, to manage uh, the same thing that I find it almost impossible or incomprehensible to manage again, the chemistry and camaraderie is the NIL stuff because, you know, not everybody's getting money and you go to the bar and you're, you know, my linemen aren't getting it, but me as a quarterback is, Hey guys, um, how about a pitcher? Nah, but you're getting money. I'm not, I'm, you're not getting any money if I don't block for you. You know, you know, in the NFL, everybody's got money. I, I just don't know how you manage all that today. And it, yeah. it just, the way we had to do it in the past and we can't live in the past, but none of us had money. I mean, right. in Michigan, we took bottles and cans back for our dimes and, and, and for our beer money. I mean, good heavens. I don't know how you think about it today and you keep the chemistry working as a team. It's scary. Well, you'll be happy to know that one of our uh, listeners just weighed in with a comment and was, uh, was saying that we should get Mark Messner a, a de facto NIL deal. 
So oh, that would uh, be nice. I would really like it. <laughs> you can retire early then. Yeah, there you go. Brian Cartwright, get Messner an NIL deal, LOL. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, John, you, to, dovetail, to dovetail off Mark's comment, I remember when, when I was in school in the 70s and all the linemen, some of the linemen that I knew, it, it would take the third year to get on the plane to get in the starting lineup. Third year of development now. And now they're bringing in uh, through the portal these linemen. So back to what Mark was talking about. So you've worked your tail off your redshirt freshman year, your 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 you know your first year on the field, you're actually playing, and then all of a sudden in comes some other dude that uh, after you put the work in. That to me would be really disheartening. It goes back to your comment, Mark, about culture and the whole dynamic of of the locker room that that would have to be really difficult to navigate don't you think as a coach i don't know how it's 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 amazing to me how they're doing it um and managing through that yeah and and an interesting thing almost an ironic thing is these last couple of years uh, michigan has brought in some people like that but is basically said to have the best culture of the Harbaugh era at Michigan because they've gotten back to basics in some areas and things that they wouldn't put up with. And, uh, and you've had a pretty good mix, but, man, I understand what you're saying and, and how tough that has to be uh, that you're bringing along players, the freshmen, like we've already talked about and certainly younger players uh, that Michigan <laughs> had to rely on this year at quarterback at running back at the end of the season. And, and yet, you know, you're, you're working in, I just, it's free agency. That's, that's what it is. I will say this, uh, Michigan got some, uh, I thought there was some very interesting news. We're talking about uh, 2023 and the possibilities there. Blake Corum on a podcast today said he is 50, 50 that, you know, he will be back next year. And I think NIL, Mark, as you touched on, plays a role in that, that he might be able to make more as a college senior than he could make if he got drafted fourth or fifth in the NFL, which is wild to think about. But it's, it's, un, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it change, it's changing the game and the dynamics of the game, I mean, way too much for my comfort because it's, it's overcomplicating it. And it's really, really hard to read where people are because you, you really build around certain individuals in college and you build game plans, you build entire structure around them and then they change their mind because of a, some deal they got or they may get and it changes their focus. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a very, very different world today uh, with, with how those things are managed and you know how you keep the hearts and minds, and you got great talent out there that again may not fit the Michigan culture, but statistically they're a dominant football player. And I go back to the reverse of the Mark Messner. I wasn't the prototypical chiseled um, lineman, you know, or, or a football player in general. So you know you may have somebody else drop in that is that thing, but can't play football at Michigan, and you're counting on it. So. Right after this podcast ends, your phone rings and it's Jim Harbaugh. And he says, uh, Mark, uh, I trust you. I know you're a smart guy. I want you to become my football general manager. 
and uh, navigate this whole thing between uh, bringing in freshmen and bringing in uh, uh, transfers and all that. Um, how do you think Mark Messner would uh, would fall in that area and, and would navigate that whole course? I'd say uh, probably the same thing I said when I was coming to Michigan as I I don't have a chance at getting that done effectively. <laughs> I didn't have a chance of playing at Michigan, but I was going to get a great education, but I didn't have a chance of playing. Um, but I, I don't think, you know, I guess if I, anything I've really put my mind to, I've done. So I, I'd find a way, although I'd have to try to find a way to do it from here because I don't know if I could go back and live there. <laughs> there you go. Especially uh, with the blizzard coming in a couple of days. Yeah. So uh, go ahead, Tom, jump in there. Well, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the, these coaching staffs now have, have not just one guy, these player personnel departments, it's come de facto NFL at the, at the collegiate level. So you have, you have guys on staffs right now at the FBS level that all they do is look at the portal. We're not talking about recruiting. We're talking a lot looking at the portal. That's what they do for a full-time job. And I just, I, I don't know how, I, I just don't know, back to the culture thing. I don't know how, uh, I guess the teams that win national championships are, are do the best job at navigating the, the team dynamics, the locker room, the culture, not pissing anybody off or just knowing that, hey, that's reality. You might lose your job to a guy on a transfer portal, but I, I think it would be a nightmare. You have to be a psychologist, let alone a coach, to be able to to talk down your kids from not transferring because, my God, everybody's thinking about going into the portal. One year and they're going to the portal. Then look at Dante Moore. He commits to Oregon, gets a better NIL deal. It goes down to Los Angeles to play for UCLA. He's already transferred, and he hasn't even gone to school. And that, you know, with his with the decommitting thing. So I think yeah. it's a holy mess. But I, back to my amazing blue love, you know, goggles here. As long as it works for Michigan, I get and it's not cheating. I'm all about it. So how, how, yeah. how, how you know, how narrow minded and, and uh, hypocrisy is that? Bill, with me? Well, I mean, you have to take the game the way it's presented. Yeah, uh, exactly. in, in whatever era you happen to be in. Yeah. I, I wrote a column that. Yeah. You know, that talked about uh, Fielding Yost. He, he he was dominating college football one way, and then they changed a lot of the rules, and he had to adjust and, and do that. And Fritz Chrysler, same thing, uh, right on through Bo. And you you got to play the hand that you're dealt. And right at this moment, Jim Harbaugh is playing it uh, incredibly successfully. Mark, I want to bring you up to speed on a little season-long conversation that Tom and I have had back and forth and uh, get your thoughts on this whole thing because uh, Tom was worried and not for no reason that Michigan's non-conference schedule this year could really cost it in the end uh, because it was not particularly uh, strong. You didn't have the Notre Dame. You didn't have the uh, a Texas or a, a West Coast power. Um, and, you know, the, the playoff committee admitted – for quite a while that yeah they're holding michigan back a little bit because they hadn't played the schedule some had in the non-conference well as it turned out when it came winning time to win the big games michigan did that and it nothing really set them back they're in as good a position i think as they could possibly be at this point your thoughts on non-conference schedule in general the the types that you played uh how how much 
challenge should you mix in? I mean, it was different then, I think, than it is now because it seems like one loss puts you right on the brink of everything as far as missing playoffs, and that's what these guys have set as one of their big goals. Well, I think that's true because if you have a loss, if you're blemished, your chances are minimal. And I think that what really helped Michigan and, in general, the Big Ten East is the strength of the Big Ten East. When you are when you get through that regular season, regardless of who was in the preseason or I would say preseason, um, non-conference schedule, it's irrelevant because you just played 10 horses. And those are, those are not Big Ten West um, adversaries. So, you know, the, the, by us playing, again, my, when, back in my day, we started with Notre Dame every year. So, yeah, exactly. it, I mean, that was our first game. They usually played one prior to even us. And those first games are warm-ups. So, you know, if you're the people that are scheduling those, they're doing it for a couple of reasons. One, money for who those people want to play, Michigan, television revenues and everything else. But we're getting tuned up for the Big Ten East. And that's, you know, that's the way I look at it. And this season is a bugger to get through um, without a blemish. Yeah, no question. And uh, they have 13 and 0, first time ever at Michigan, a 13 and 0 team. Jim Harbaugh says it's, uh, I can hardly form those words with my mouth. Um, as we, this, this hour has flown. Uh, we, we really appreciate you being with us. Uh, I, it would, I would be remiss if we didn't uh, ask you about Jim Harbaugh and his future here uh, before we let you go, just because he has now had those breakthrough two years where uh, it, it is like uh, you, you went from the sort of impatience that, uh, that you referenced earlier to now uh, th- this guy is uh, – Michigan has to do whatever – has to do to keep him they they're in a position where they are a powerhouse nationally your thoughts on on what Jim Harbaugh's future here is at at Michigan and what he uh could possibly do over the next few years well I mean this is just Mark's um opinion it has no basis in fact obviously but you know just as we talked about the chemistry and the trust and the understanding Um, the other teammate we haven't mentioned is the AD Ward was our teammate. Um, You know, he was a defensive tackle. Um, He, you know, he, he was with Jim and I, so, you know, you sit there and say, what does Jim want to do? He's been at every level and succeeded at every level. And when he came to Michigan, he said, I'm home. And when you, when you say you're home, when you're somebody like Michigan, like, Jim that has been at the NFL level and had success played the super coached a Super Bowl team. It, you've been there. So you're not trying to earn that spot. You've already done it. So when he says he's home, he's home and he's going to stay here as long as he wants to stay here and he's treated well. And he's, he, his love and passion for Michigan is just like it was back when we played. It is truly in there. It is ingrained in him DNA, I think. And when it's that deep, it's hard to think of being anywhere but here. And, you know, when you're at the, when you hold the reins to that 
and you are successful and you're endeared by the, by the fans and you're endeared by your team, um, you're heaven on earth. Very good. Tom, jump in there. Final thoughts, well, questions. Yeah. I, I agree with Mark, but, you know, I'm still confused about his little flirtation on signing day of going to Minneapolis and entertain going to the NFL after a, a, a Big Ten championship game. But I think he's I think he's he, that he's already processed that temptation. And I think he's thinking things that with a clearer mind. And I think he's locked in well, to I have, from this point forward. I have always I have a thought on that. And I truly believe it in, in my heart of hearts. He was doing that to leverage a relaxed um, portal requirement because we mm. couldn't get people in and the president wouldn't listen. Well, we okay. have a new president. So I think he was leveraging, I'm going to leave. If you want Michigan to be what Michigan should be, you need to relax the portal on us so that the requirements like coming in as a freshman, you've got to go through the clearinghouse. Everybody's the same. Well, right. the portal's not. They they don't have to let those those credits transfer if their grade point averages aren't high enough, so the guys don't come. So he's he's trying to leverage that, and he's trying to leverage NIL money. Big time. So I think yeah. both of those things were him trying to get the university to understand: if you want me to put this school on that stage, you have to let me do it with these tools because everybody else has these tools. I don't think he would have gone because he just needed them to understand we can do this if you let me. That's just my humble opinion. Well, I, you certainly, um, the results coming out of this, I mean, it's, you cannot argue with what they're yeah. doing in the portal. And yeah. as far as, you know, Tom referencing the president, we, I, I have in 32 years of, uh, of covering this team, uh, seen all different levels of presidential interest, uh, none more than I see right now. Santa Ono is not just he, he doesn't just understand that. Okay, football's a big deal because it's it's high profile. Yeah. This guy's this guy's a fan. He's he's a he's kid that can't about in the press box. He's a kid in the candy store up there. He's yeah. he's, he's loving it. Yeah. Have you met him, Mark? I have not. Okay, but uh, your your maybe your thoughts on what that could mean when you have the the leader of the university really on board with wanting to be as competitive as you possibly can in everything, and that certainly includes Michigan football. It, it absolutely does, and I think that that's seeing the big picture because the university is a reflection of all the things that draw the students to that university. And a big part of that is the athletics. And when the academics are as high as they are and as stringent as they are, there is an incredible amount of pressure to maintain that status. And, you know, you can't relax it. You've got to maintain it. So how do you maintain that while having the athletes that you need there? So it's a, it's a, it's a game, a chess, chess game that they are playing masterfully. Well, Thank you. And speaking of masterfully, uh, you have done your job here tonight masterfully. Uh, Mark Messner, all-time Michigan great, uh, newest member of the College Football Hall of Fame, and somebody that uh, we uh, both, uh, Tom Crawford and I, have fond memories of watching play. And uh, just your, your insights have been incredible here. 
We thank you for joining us. And uh, hopefully this will not be the last time on this particular podcast. We'd love to tap uh, your wisdom sometime here in the future. Well, you certainly have my contact information now. And you know I'm not going anywhere. So there you go. You know how to get me. All right. Well, take care. Yeah. And um, for everybody listening in, we we appreciate you joining us. We will do this again next week. And uh, in the meantime, keep an eye on all these developments with the Wolverines because uh, they don't seem to slow down these days. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.